Westview. Welcome to Westview Community Church. Those are online. Thank you for joining us as well this morning. Just a reminder, if you're new to us, or even if you're not new to us, and you want to fill out your information or something's changed, um, this connection card at the bottom, there's a section for you to complete that. You can drop it by the Welcome Center or hand it to somebody that looks official, and uh, we'll be glad to uh, take that information as well. Um, on the back, there are some sermon notes that you may or may not want to fill out. It depends on your personality today, and so uh, I'll leave you with that as well. So we are in a series that we are calling um, Mayberry 2.0, and it's about improving community. And just a reminder as we go through this, that our task as Christ community is not to go back and recapture the good old days. It's not to go back to black and white. It's to find relevant ways to live out the gospel so that we can be salt and light. And sadly, too often, especially in the church, what we're guilty of is trying to hold on to things that are comfortable and outdated. And as a result, we can lose our ability to communicate in relevant ways the truth of the gospel. Now, just a note, just so you know where I stand, I'm not talking about compromising truth or watering down the gospel. That's not at all what I'm talking about. I continue to believe that the gospel never changes. Amen. But the presentation of the gospel has had to change and adapt over time because people change cultures change and so over the course of, of our history um, our music has changed our sermon deliveries changed worship services have had to adapt and you'll notice that I'm not speaking to you this morning in Greek or Hebrew we didn't open with Gregorian chants because if we had done that you probably wouldn't be able to maybe get as much from this morning as if uh, if we did those things so the gospel never changes the presentation has to change because we change in, as a matter of fact, um, we're going to talk this, this morning about change and the focus on change, but the, I want to welcome you to Westview 2.0. What is Westview 2.0? Well, it's a time not for reliving our past, but rather to use our past to spring us forward, to move us forward. Westview 2.0 is a time when we get to explore and experiment and innovate. It's a time when we're getting off the same old trail and blazing new ones. It's a time for stretching and growing and learning and trusting. And since we, the church as a whole, and Westview locally, our community within a community, in this broader community and even our world, we get to do this together. And in fact, we must do it together. If we're to be successful in our mission, we must be a focused community. So that's what we're going to talk about today is what it means to be a focused community. Now, there was an invention, probably as old as man, that helped us with focus. So I don't know if anybody ever used these in focus experiments. I may have set a fire or two. <laughs> I may or may not have roasted some ants because the power of this focuses the sunlight and does some powerful things, doesn't it? This magnifying glass. And in fact, even more focused light now is in the form of lasers. And lasers, they're so powerful that they can cut through steel. 
They can send you to jail if you shine them in a plane's pilot's eyes like 10,000 feet in the air or something. I've never tried that one, and thus I've not been to jail for that. But that's the power of focused light. And so this morning we're going to talk about, about laser focus and what it means for us as community. And so we're going to open with a clip from Mayberry. Um, and in this clip, Opie is focused. What's he focused on? He's focused on getting a job. And so one day he's out showing off, and there was a girl that he was trying to impress, and he's showing off on his bike, and he's riding without any hands, and he crashes into a tree, and he ruins the front tire and the, and the fender. And so Andy, Andy is not happy with him and reminds him that foolishness comes at a cost, and it might cost a whole 15 or $20 to replace that tire and fender. And so Opie is focused on getting a job. Watch this clip. business like this and ask for a job. You got to walk in like you're somebody. Oh. Now, tuck your shirt tail in good. Yeah, get her all in. Now, get over there by the door. Now, pull your shoulders back. Judge your jaw out. Now, come on. Good, good. I was real impressed. Thanks, Goober. You don't have a job for me, do you? Now, there's another thing, Hope. You don't say you don't have a job for me. Sounds like you whooped right there. You got to show that you got some confidence in yourself. Oh. Now, you just say, I'd like to apply for a job. That really impressed me. I know right there it's talking to a live wife. Maybe another young Rockefeller. <laughs> All right, now go by the door and try again. Shoulders back. Get your jaw out. Now come at me. I'd like to apply for a job. That's it. That did it, old boy. You really laid that on me. Thanks, Goober. When do I start? Start what? Job. Well, I ain't got no job for you, Ope. I just showing you how to apply for one. Well, thanks anyway, Goober. It's okay. Always glad to be a help. So Opie is focused, isn't he? So. To keep in line with our Mayberry 2.0, what did you notice about that clip from other the clips we've watched during this series? It's in color. So season six, even Mayberry's progressed at this time. They've gone from black and white. These, season six starts to be in color. And so today, as we talk about moving forward, like Opie, there's a story in the Old Testament where the power of being focused brings amazing results. But unlike Opie, Nehemiah has a job. He's a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that he just walks around following the king holding a cup in his hand. What it does mean is he's also a taster. Well, what does that mean? Well, being the king came with a lot of good perks, but it had some downfalls. One of those is that occasionally people might poison the king. And so Nehemiah was a taster. It was his job to taste the things in the cup and the, maybe the things on the plate for those that might be trying to poison the king to gain power. And so it was a pretty high-risk job. That's what Nehemiah did. And so 
his job is to taste what's in the cup. Now, a little background. In the period leading up to this story of Nehemiah, the nation of Israel at this point is split. And eventually, most of the people are divided and spread out through the Persian Empire. And after a period in exile, Ezra the priest and Zerubbabel start this, this return of the exiles back to Jerusalem. And in fact, they've even rebuilt the temple. And Nehemiah's story starts with a visit from a countryman. And it tells him Jerusalem's in trouble. In Nehemiah chapter four, verses, uh, chapter one, verses one through four, we read this. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's Nehemiah, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province they are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So, can you remember a time in your life when something impacted you so much that it made you move or made you react? A time when, when something forced you to make changes? Well, most of you are familiar with my story, but there was a time when my wife and I were living in North Carolina and we were just getting ready to move into a brand new house and we had great jobs and we made lots of money and the Lord knocked on the door and he said it's time and I knew immediately what that meant because I knew that I'd been called to full-time ministry in high school I had just kind of skirted around it for about 15 or 20 years and so when he said it's time my heart sank a little bit and then within two weeks we had resigned our jobs put our house on the market and said, all right, Lord, whatever it is. You see, I didn't make a decision to do that. It was a surrender to a calling. And there are times in life when something hits you so much that it, it moves you to react, to do something. And that's what Nehemiah has experienced here. And this news changed his job, it changed his focus, and it changed his life. And it caused him to take huge risk. And the risk was, even to show emotion before the king, he might lose his life for that. And on top of that, not only does he ask for permission to go to Jerusalem to rebuild these walls, he asks for letters to, so he can travel safely. He asks for letters so that he can get the supplies he needs to rebuild these walls. So his life is changed. Once there, he surveys the damage of these walls. Then he rallies all the forces. And in chapter 2, verse 18, we read this. Nehemiah, I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me, and they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. And so there's a huge task ahead of them. Now, let's take Nehemiah's story uh, up on focus, and we're going to go up to chapter 3. And so we talk about this focus, this change in Nehemiah's heart, and now it's changed the community. So Nehemiah's moved to do something. Now he's in Jerusalem and he's moved the community to do something. And when that happens and the hand of God is on you, folks, God-sized things begin to happen. So here's the first thing they were focused on. When we look in chapter 3, they were focused on the work. If you have sermon notes, if you want to take your sermon notes, that's sermon note number one. They were focused on the work. And to give you a scope of the, uh, an idea of the scope of this task, here's a picture for you of those walls, uh, a drawing of those walls. Let me give you some background. These walls were two and a half miles in length. 
They were an average of 12 meters or just over 39 feet. The average thickness was over 8 feet. There are 10 gates mentioned and several towers. I wish we had time to read the whole book of Nehemiah. I would encourage you this week to do that. It's 13 short chapters, this, and the story's worth reading. But chapter 3 of Nehemiah is a recap of the work on the rebuilding of these walls, and it paints a picture of the process. So let me highlight some things on the focus on the work. Make some observations. Observation number one, the priest and the people worked together. I might say it like this, the pastors, the leaders, work together. When the, people, when the people sit back and expect the pastors and leaders to do the work, the people get complacent and the pastors get burnt out. When the pastors, the priests, the leaders stand over the people while they work, then the pastors become overbearing and the people rebel. There's a well-known rule in, that every church leader knows. It's called the 20% rule. You heard of that before? I see some of you shaking your hands. So here's the way that rule works in churches. 20% of the people in the church historically do what? 80% of the work. Now somebody after the first service says, well, what if they're doing 80% of the work, what about the other 20%? It just doesn't get done typically. And so 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Now, I have some good news for us today. Westview, historically, has been much better than that. And when needs arise, you step up. That's awesome. Traditionally, that's been true, and then COVID hit. And COVID was a very real pandemic. It is a very real pandemic, and it wreaks havoc on everything, on everyone. But unfortunately, the work didn't stop. In fact, it increased. One thing did change, there are fewer builders. It's important, Westview, that we continue to work together, priest and people, side by side, because to quote Jesus, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So we need everyone to begin to step up and focus on the work, and our work is kingdom building. It has eternal impact on lives. That brings me to the next observation I'll make about the work. Everyone joined the work in chapter 3. And if you survey this chapter, what you're going to see is a list of people that are involved in this wall-building project. But for a moment, I want you to focus on hands of those that are building this wall, the hands that are rebuilding. Now, my dad had very distinct hands. Number one, he was missing a finger. And we thought it was really cool when we were kids because when we'd bring our friends over and they hadn't met my dad yet, the first time we met him, he usually had it in his ear like this or up his nose. And so we thought that was really cool because it just freaked my friends out. But my dad's hands were also very calloused, very strong, and very big because he worked hard to raise us. I would venture to tell you, if we looked at the hands of those who were building the walls of Jerusalem, not all those hands were calloused, big, and strong and used to hard work. In fact, what we see is that there were city folk and country folk working together. Those who lived inside the walls and those who lived outside the walls all using their hands to accomplish this enormous task. There were communities banding together. We read about the men of Jericho. They built the residents of Zenoa, the district of Beth Hakarim. They all worked and used their hands to rebuild these walls. In, in chapter... 
chapter 3, verse 12, we read about fathers and sons and fathers and daughters, which were very significant here because it's a male-dominated society. And so to mention the fact that daughters were involved in the process bring focus to the fact that, that it was necessary work. And then there were builders and non-builders. And in verse 8, we read about perfumers, goldsmiths, and merchants. Now, I can't imagine what the hands of a perfumer would look like. But I can't imagine that they were used to lifting stones, and there were no cranes, there were no bulldozers. It was hand work. Goldsmiths that were used to crafting delicate things out of gold, and merchants who were used to the marketplace. All these hands joined together. There's only one mention in the chapter of someone that wouldn't do the work, and that were the nobles of Tekoa. It said they watched as their men did the work. Westview, your hands are important if we're going to be successful in our work. So take a moment and look at your hands. It doesn't matter if they're calloused or strong, delicate and soft. Your hands are an important part. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 8, we're reminded of that. It reads like this in the Living Bible, Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of it. And it takes every one of us to make it complete, for we each have different work to do, so we belong to each other, and each needs all the others. God has given each of us the ability to do certain things. So if God has given us the ability to prophesy, then prophesy wherever you can. As often as your faith is strong, and strong enough to receive a message from God, if your gift is that of serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, do a good job of teaching. If you're a preacher, see to it that your sermons are strong and helpful. If God has given you money, be generous in helping others with it. If God's given you administrative ability and put you in charge of the work of others, take the responsibility seriously. Those who offer comfort to the sorrowing should do so with Christian, um, turn the page too fast, Christian cheer. Your hands are important. There's an old saying that you've probably heard before, many hands make what? Many hands make light work. And as a community, our work is kingdom work. It's much bigger than a paycheck. It's much bigger than a title or a career. And to be successful, we need all hands on deck. And finally, the third observation about the work is family constructed the walls near their homes in Nehemiah chapter 3. We read through this chapter several times where it mentions a family and that they rebuilt or repaired the walls next to their home. Now, what I'm about to say isn't specifically alluded to in this chapter, in this text, but I want to make just a common sense observation. Let me start with a question. So if you're an enemy and you're going to go attack a community like Jerusalem, what are you going to look for, the strongest points or the weakest point in the walls? Strongest, or the weakest, right? You're going to look for the weakest point. Now, let me ask you a second question. If you're repairing the walls next to your home, are you going to make double sure that they're secure and safe? Or are they, you want to make them just so-so so they're the weakest point? I don't know about you. I want my walls to be strong walls. I don't want to live next to the men of the nobles of Tekoa who really didn't get involved. So families joined together and rebuilt the walls nearest their homes so that they 
were strong walls. The task was huge, but everyone got to work side by side, rich and poor, soft hands, working hands, all worked together, and they focused on the task. They focused on the work. Their walls were broken. They needed to be rebuilt so they could be safe. And as a result of that, God-sized things happened. In chapter 6, verse 15 of Nehemiah, we read this. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Walls that were two and a half miles long, 39 feet high, eight feet thick in places. God-sized things happen. They focused on the work. The second area of focus in Nehemiah's story where they were focused on the word. So now the walls have been rebuilt and the community comes together. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we get a picture of what takes place after the walls are built. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we read this all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate and they told Ezra the priest or the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses what we would call today a bible which the Lord had commanded for Israel and Ezra opened the book and as he opened it the people all stood up so I thought we'd practice that this morning all right are you ready Now, what I'm not going to make you do is it goes on to say that they stood from daybreak till noon and listened as the word was read and explained. You may sit down. I remember being a kid when, in church, and I used to complain to my mom because we'd open the hymn books and we'd sing those hymns, and I'd say, Mom, I'm tired, and I sat down. And I'm thinking, gosh could I stand from daybreak till noon as the word was read? Why did they stand? They stood out of reverence and respect. They stood to honor the word of God and they did it from daybreak till noon. Ezra began to praise the Lord and then they bowed down with their faces to the ground and they worshiped. Let me remind you this morning, Westview, that we are a community that's focused on truth, that we believe in this book. We believe that it's infallible, that it's inerrant, that it's the revealed truth of God. We believe that we don't have to make excuses for what it says. We're simply called to stand and obey it. We believe it, in a time when it's politically incorrect and culturally uncool to make statements like this, we believe the word provides the guidance we need to change the world. That's the power of this book. That's why we need to be focused on the word. So why is it important? Well, another thing I would encourage you to do this week is chapter, Psalms 119 is a whole chapter. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's focused directly to the power of the word. It's built around an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. And so I thought, well, we have 26 letters in our alphabet. And so I went through Psalm 119 and I found 26 reasons why it's important to focus on the word. Jot these down if you want. Why do we focus on the word? 
The word is truth. It helps keep us from sin. It gives wise advice. It encourages us. It can be trusted. It's to be obeyed. It keeps me from wandering. It's more valuable than gold or silver. It's where my hope is found. It disciplines us. It's a comfort and delight. It's eternal and stands firm. It gives life. It has no limit. It's sweeter than honey to my lips. It gives me understanding. It's a lamp to my feet. It's to be treasured. It's awesome. It's right. It guides my steps. It's fair. It's perfect. It has been tested and proven true. It gives joy in times of pressure and stress and it will last forever they were focused on the word and finally they were focused on worship so the walls are built the book's been brought out they honor the book they open it and read it and then in Nehemiah chapter 12 at the dedication of the wall we read the Levites were sought out from where they lived and they were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving Another question, how many of you believe this morning there's power in praise? It's why we often see in Scripture praise goes before the battle. It's the walls of Jericho come down when the horns are blasted. It's why when we get in difficult times, often the first thing on our lips is a psalm, a song or a hymn that we know that helps us in times that we're frightened or facing difficulty there's power in praise let me show you some a picture for a moment i want you to make an observation so here's a picture of about civil war era instruments and i want you to look at this picture look at the horn specifically what do you notice about those horns they're long if you're playing the horn which way is the bell facing this way or this way so why would the bells of these horns be facing backwards? That doesn't make sense. It's because it, the band went before the troops. It's how the army knew what to do, when to rise, when to eat, when to sleep, when to charge, and when to retreat. The band was marching before, the horns of the bells faced backwards so the troops knew what to do. Praise is powerful. It goes before the battle. The angels sing and the shepherds rejoice at the birth of Christ. As a community, it's important for us to be focused on worship. And let me give you a hint, folks. Heaven's filled with it. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 12, after this, John writes, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language. Standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes, and they held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worship God they sang amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength to belong to our God forever amen if you don't like praise I might encourage you to get used to it because when we get to heaven there's going to be a whole lot of it going on there's power in praise and our God is worthy of our praise and so this celebration of these rebuilt walls starts with two choirs that divide and they march around on top of these newly constructed walls and then they meet together and then they have a, a celebration. A focused community is a community that understands the power of praise. Praise points to what's most important. It helps us know where we're going and what we need to do. 
And so in Nehemiah's story, this celebration ends, it starts with praise, and it ends with a party. And church, I believe that as a church, we've forgotten how to party. And we have reason, don't we? Do we have reason to party? We're in a pandemic, but we serve the great physician. Life is hard, but our eternity is secure. The world is divided, but Jesus unites. We have reason to party. We have reason to live our lives with joy. And if we're to be salt and light, people need to see that on our faces. So, Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. The community gathered together. They were focused. Here's your takeaway. If you slept through the sermon, let me just give you the takeaway. A focused heart changes your life. A focused heart changes our community. And a focused community changes our world. So this morning, we're going to give you some tangible ways that you can take what we've heard this morning and apply that to maybe work on that 20% rule. So I'm going to ask Pastor Wayne to come up, and we're going to do offering, and he's going to give you some tangible ways that we can live this out. Pastor Wayne. Thank you, Pastor Eric. Good morning, Westview. How are you? So good to see your lovely and bright faces this morning. As Pastor Eric shared, now is offering time, and of course you know that we can give our tithes and offerings and the giving baskets in the box, in the back, but beyond that, there's another way that you can give. It's called the Time and Talent Survey. Now come on, ask me, Westview. Wayne, what's that? I'm so glad you asked. It is a categorized list of your talents, your professional skills, and even your spiritual gifts if you've already taken a spiritual gifts assessment. Now, how can we easily do that? Well, we can do it in three ways, three simple ways. The first way is you will receive an email that can be sent to your email address with a digital link which will take you directly to, yes, the survey itself, the time and talent survey. The second way is that you can do it by hard copy, meaning that we have it already printed out for you, and if you raise your hand, the ushers will give it to you. But there's an even faster way if you're like me and you say, I want to do it right now. If that's the case, on your connection card, you will see this QR code. And if you'll take your smartphone or your iPhone and bring up your camera and hover it over this QR code, it will take you directly to the link. And I promise you, it'll take you 30 seconds or less. Isn't that wonderful? You can bless the entire Westview community in 30 seconds or less. And the information is kept private. Only our administrative team will see the information and will share it only with those who could use your talent and your gifts. Isn't that a wonderful way to bless our community? Amen. So now if you're ready, 
we have a short video that we're going to play while you take the survey with the QR code so we can bring up your cameras on your phone. Again, hover it over this, this QR code, and as we listen and watch this video, you can bless so many others. Are you ready, Westview? All right, let's go. I think there are also paper copies. If you'd like a paper copy, just hold up your hand and our ushers have those. They have a pen if you want to do it right now. So uh, don't let the survey scare you, by the way. Um, it's just a way to show opportunities and give you opportunities for you to use your hands to do things you like to do, you're gifted to do, to help us build the walls. And so take the time to do that and uh, so that we can work together. So how does Opie's story end? Well, Opie gets a job. He's in competition with this job with another young man who also needs a job. And come to find out, this young man has something more important than a bicycle to repair. His dad's sick and he needs a job to help the family pay bills. And so Opie eventually does something to get himself fired so the other young person can have the job. See, Opie's heart was changed when he saw the need. And so a focused heart changes your life, a focused life changes community, a focused community changes the world. There's another story in the Bible, in the New Testament, that shows us the power of focus. It's found in the book of Acts in chapter 2, and it starts with a man, and it changes the community, and it changes the world. In Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 42 to 47, we read something you're very familiar with. Uh, this, this new community devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions, and they gave to anyone who had a need. And so this change starts with a man by the name of Peter. And in chapter 2, verses 14, are for me personally the three most powerful words in the New Testament because they speak to me. You see, this man Peter was the Peter who denied Christ at his crucifixion, who went fishing when times got tough. But in 2.14, when they're all together, there are three words, then Peter stood. And he preaches the first sermon and gives the gospel. And as a result, this community is changed and people are saved, it says, and they're added, the Lord added daily to their numbers. That's the power of a focused heart and a focused community. This community changed the world. It's why we're here today. So as we close today, let me ask you a couple of questions to take with you. What are you focused on this week? And what are your hands helping to build? Would you stand? Let me close with this benediction for you. As you go out, go with a focused heart, with hands ready to change the world. Be kingdom builders. Go in peace.